Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Here we are, week three of our study of Ephesians, um, Book of Ephesians, and so um, just kind of quick recap. So we're all on the same page when we're talking about the Book of Ephesians. It's um, one of the letters that Saint Paul wrote while he was in prison, um, so it's considered one of the prison epistles. Uh, you know, the city of Ephesus, or really the region around Ephesus, which is Asia Minor, are, you know, there's a collection of churches, and St. Paul was writing to the collection of churches. And so the understanding was he would send a letter, and then each church was would share, right? Because when we go to an area, he would stay in the city, but then go to the surrounding cities, and that's how he would do uh, his ministry, right? St. Paul had a bit of a system about him. Um Ephesus and Asia Minor, they are a um, port town. So whenever we have a port town around water, what should we always think about? Who remembers? Tsunamis. 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 Metropolitan area. So there's a lot of influx of different cultures. So whenever you know we read about you know, a letter that is going to a city that is a port, city there's um different gods in the city because as they came in to do trade they would also bring in their their gods and different belief systems all right uh so this who's the target of uh of this letter who's who's saint paul talking to gentiles, gentiles and yeah. and the jews right because what he's doing is the church is a makeup of the Jews and Gentiles. But what we we're saying last week is that there is a always a tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. And, and the tension has to do with the, the law of Moses, which yes, we get in the Old Testament, but over the over the centuries, because the Jews were displaced, what they did was they augmented the laws and added a whole bunch of other ones in order to figure out how to fulfill the law when they're not in Jerusalem. So what we have in scripture, right, was hundreds of laws were added to it. And what the Jews were saying is that, okay, fine, you Gentile, if you want to, be, you know, want to believe, you got to believe in Jesus and follow them. And, and a lot of St. Paul's letters are saying, no, you don't need to follow the law because Jesus came, he fulfilled the law, and, and what he and he did what the law couldn't do, which was make us perfect, right? He would offer us salvation through his own body, um, through becoming human, and, and through his incarnation and taking on humanity and then defeating death, what he did is he offered salvation to everyone. So St. Paul's writings are always trying to kind of get past this separation, right? And, and so in chapter one, one of the things that we dealt with was the whole idea of predestination. Um, 
And then in chapter two, uh, we dealt with the idea of how we are saved. That yes, we are saved through grace and grace is a free gift. But whenever we choose to believe that a Christian lifestyle is inseparable from our faith, right? Not that our good works save us because we are never saved on our merits. We were never saved because we did something good or we earned salvation. We were saved because of what he did. And he did it while we were sinners. Well, like he created the plan of salvation far before we knew him. We knew of God. Everything was planned out before the creation of man. The Lord knew when he created man that they were going to fall and that they would need salvation. And he knew that he was going to do it. And he knew how he was going to do it. So the plan was predetermined from before creation, which is why in scripture, like we say, it's not of our works, right? Because he planned salvation out before we could do anything, right? But at the same time, we can't separate our good works from our faith, right? That, you know, good works are inseparable from our Christian life and we were created for good works. And the last thing that we talked about last week was this idea of what a church is, right? And and the Greek word for church is ekklesia, and it's it was actually a very political term that Rome would use to identify any group of people that were rising up with a purpose, right? So if you have any purpose and people would gather around that purpose, the term that the Romans used was ekklesia, right? And so there's two factors that go into that word. You need a group of people that share a common purpose, right? Group of people gathered for a common purpose. That was the church. And so the church in Ephesus and Asia Minor was Jews and Gentiles, so a group of people that have gathered. Nobody ever calls the church for some reason. <laughs> um, so Jews and Gentiles gathered, and the purpose is for salvation centered around Christ, right? So that's our kind of recap of chapters one and two. Any questions? What? Oh, answering this one. All right. With that said, opening question for today is, what does it mean to be a steward? What's a steward? What's a stewardship? Holy steps. Okay. What's what sort of steps and, and why? Why would somebody be following the steps? Okay, so somebody is choosing to be obedient. Just asking. We're gonna cover it. Following certain pathways. Okay, following a certain pathway. What else? When you think of somebody who's been given a stewardship. I feel someone's being in a subordinate position where they've been given, entrusted something which is not theirs, but they're still expected to take care of it or to protect it okay. on behalf of someone higher than them. Okay. So somebody in a subordinate position. So somebody who, you know, a steward is somebody who is lower than whoever's above them. Right. And and what you said was that they've been entrusted 
with a certain responsibility, right? Matthew, just did I summarize it well? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anybody else? That's pretty spot on. Okay, so not much more to, to go. But that's what a steward was, is somebody who was entrusted with something that isn't his or hers, right? And they have a responsibility on how they deal. So remember how when we did the, the life of Joseph, how Joseph was second to his master, right? In the house, second to Potiphar, um, and eventually second to Pharaoh as well. How did Potiphar and how did Pharaoh treat Joseph? You run everything, right? You deal with the finances, you deal with the hiring and the firing, you, you know, make sure everybody is doing the things that are important uh, in the house to make it run, all these different things, like you take care of it, right? So he was entrusted with a steward, right? In those situations. So that's what the stewardship is. And, and what we're going to see here um, is that St. Paul, not, and not just here, but in many places in, in St. Paul's scripture, he refers to him as a student, or he, he refers to himself as a student. So I just wanted to tease that out there, make sure we're all on the same page as we get going. So we're going to jump in because our goal today, I had given us four weeks to do six chapters. So we're gonna try and knock out two this week and two next week, all right? We'll see how it goes, all right? We'll see how it goes. Um, so we'll start off with Ephesians four and we're actually gonna read from four through seven, or sorry, one, chapter three, chapter three, one through seven. Thank you. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, know that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Thank you. So at the beginning, what is Paul referencing at the, you know, when he says how that revel how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery? What is he talking about? Incarnation. Mm, not incarnation. He's talking Grace. about. I'm sorry. This is God. I'm sorry. No, no, you're fine. No. You're fine. He's referencing in a, a key event, right? That happened to him. Oh. Is it the history. Damascus? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he's referencing here the vision that he saw on the road to Damascus, which became the point of his conversion, right? And he said, in that message or in that mystery or in that revelation right the mystery of christ was was revealed 
And, and because of that, where, you know, where the bright light came and St. Paul said like, okay, who are you, Lord? And he's like, I am Jesus whom you persecute. You know, why do you kick against a goat? So this was the mystery of Christ being revealed to St. Paul. And St. Paul, and we're not going to go into this because I'll be honest, I don't have a good handle on it, had other seasons in his life, you know, before really the thick of his ministry, where he was experiencing God in a very mysterious way, right? Where, where he began to understand more and more about the faith that he was persecuting, right? So he's saying here, this was given to me. And now what he's saying is that I'm what I've been giving is now what I'm managing, right? So he said, I was given a mystery through this um, event in my life. His stewardship is what does he do with that mystery? Does he, does he own or did he create what was revealed to him? No, it was given to him by God. And now he's going around and he's saying, this is what was given to me, and I'm trying to be a good steward by making sure as many people hear and understand and believe in you. So you gave me a gift. You own it. I'm a steward of it, right? This was a, a huge thrust in Paul's ministry, because he wanted to be a faithful steward of the mystery that was given to him by tying other people into a relationship with him. Now, I want to jump to verses 5 and 6, all right? And I'm going to read them again. I'm going to ask you, what is Paul saying in these verses? He says, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Right? What is, what is St. Paul saying here? So he's saying two things. One is that the Gentiles are being grafted in with the Jews, basically. But also he's asserting his credentials as an apostle because I imagine at this time there's a lot of contention over that due to his past. Yeah, there's always, there's always an issue for Paul with his apostleship because he wasn't a witness of the resurrection. Right? He received his understanding and knowledge of Christ through the bright light on the road to Damascus. The qualification of an apostle was a witness of the resurrection. And Paul didn't have that, but he earned his apostleship through how he laid for the churches. Right? So it's always a bit of a question, especially in First and Second Corinthians, that, that's a big topic of conversation. But here, in addition to what, what, what you're saying, Matthew, is that he's re-emphasizing something that he said over and over in, in chapters one and two. That which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of his promise in the gospel. That from the beginning, God planned salvation for all. Right? It started with the Jewish nation, but the end point and the goal for all now it has just been revealed, um, so to speak, to us at the coming of Jesus Christ, right? When he took on, on humanity, he granted salvation for all. So he's emphasizing this over and over and over throughout his life. It's an important part because what is the church 
in Ephesus and Asia Minor really struggling with, how do we come together, right? There's always like issues of class and race and status and all these things, right? It's, it's like as old as time. And what St. Paul is saying, what is older than all that is the plan for salvation to be for everybody. And if we focus on that, then we overcome all the hurdles that we face in seeing some of these, you know, race or sex or, or, you know, all the different things that we easily allow to separate us. Right? That's what St. Paul is emphasizing over and over. Okay. Let's jump and we're going to read a big section here. We're going to read eight through, eight through 21. <laughs> right, eight through yes, eight through twenty. To me, more or less than the least. Okay. Uh, to me, uh, who am less than the least of all the saints, uh, this grace was given. That I should that I should preach among the, the Gentiles the unsearchable uh, riches of Christ, and to make all see what what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning uh, of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now that uh, the manifold wisdom wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the uh, principalities and power uh, powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in christ jesus our lord in whom we have uh, boldness and access with confidence through the, through faith in him therefore i ask that you don't lose heart uh, at my tri uh, tribulations for you which is your which is your glory for this reason i bow my knees to the father of our lord jesus christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with, uh, with might, uh, with might through his spirit and uh, spirit in the inner man, uh, that Christ may dwell uh, in your in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with with all all saints. Yeah, uh, what, what's the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly uh, abundantly above all all that we ask uh, or think according to the power that work in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thank you. And it was a big section. I'll break it up. All right. When we looked at 8 through 13, the big summary, the big point that I want us to take away is that God's plan, again, was divided from the beginning, devised from the beginning, and it was finally made apparent to all of us through Jesus Christ. You know, the how and the when and all those things, like why did God choose this time in history? That's his infinite knowledge, right? That he chose as he put the Roman Empire in this place, has, as he kind of built the history and the relationship with the Jewish nation, as he was like working with the Gentiles, all these different things, right? He fashioned all of this to this point in time in which he sent his son, 
right? And that was the wisdom of God being revealed to us through his son. Now, in, in 14 through the, the end of the chapter, right, Paul articulates this process of spiritual maturity. Because once we're joined to this family of God, a process of maturity happens. We change. We can't join and believe and have no change. How would anybody know that we did anything different if there was no change in us? Right? So there's a transformative power through our relationship with, with God, right? Being part of his family. If you joined any family, right? If you got up and said, I'm done with this family, I'm gonna join another family, and you live with them, you move in with them, right? You see their patterns, you see what they eat, you see how they don't clean up, you see who uses the bathroom in what way, right? All these different things. Eventually, what happens? is you learn to adapt. There's a change in you, right? Good or bad, whatever it may be. But if you join a family, there's going to be a change in you. And so when we join God's family, through baptism, there has to be a change. And so central to that change is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is often equated in, in these uh, passages as Supplying the power and the strength for that change, right? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit supplies the power and the strength for that change, which is why baptism is the door into the church. But what did they always do after baptism? Hand of fellowship. Sorry? In the hand of fellowship. Okay. Right. And, and what happens in the hand of fellowship? We welcome each other. Welcome okay. the first time to the house. Okay, so there's that, but in the early church, okay, what they did was they, uh, Peter and John would go around and they would lay hands. And in the laying of hands, what did we, what did they receive? Right. The Holy Spirit. That eventually matured as the church got bigger and Peter and John couldn't keep up with the number of baptisms. What happened was that, um, you know, Oil was used in substitution for the laying of hands. Okay. Yeah. Right? Oil was used in substitution because oil had a significant um, you know, value because oil was used to ordain kings, ordain priests, and prophets. Mm -hmm. Right. So oil always had this you know, the meaning that when you're anointed, something significant is happening. Okay. And so we have whole oil, which was, you know. In, in the church, and it was used, you know, in, in the succeeding, like, you know, decades and centuries after John and, uh, you know, Peter had passed in order to keep up with the need of baptism, right? And in that anointing of oil, it's the belief that the Holy Spirit comes into us, right? And that Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts is what gives us the strength and the power for this change. And so in these verses, St. Paul, um, I want to highlight it, where he says, verse 17, right? Verse 16, he talks about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, right? So this familial relationship that we develop with God 
okay, through baptism. The goal is to have Christ, Christ dwell in our hearts, and it's kind of a twofold process. The first one is through faith. And faith, right, is the evidence, or the evidence of faith is seen, seen through the good works, right? And good works is a product of discipleship and obedience, right? right? So faith or, or good works is a product of discipleship and obedience. Because when we come into the family of God, what is he going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, keep on going ahead and run your mouth like that. No problem. You know, show no forgiveness or compassion, right? That's not what he's going to say. You say, okay, you're in this family. In this family, we choose compassion over criticism. We show forgiveness when it's hard, yeah. right? We show, you know, we we use the, our, our resources for the benefit of all, right? These are the things. And so they may be foreign to us. So we will need obedience. It's a product of our faith, right? Or and the other thing he says is to be rooted and grounded in love. Why is being rooted and grounded in love so important? If we love God, we'll obey his commandments. Okay, if we love him, we'll obey his commandments. What else? Because if we don't have love, then we don't have the love for our brothers and sisters. All right. So if we have love, then we have compassion to love her or love them or love her. Okay. So we need that order for us to show the Holy Spirit Spirit dwelling to us, I think. Okay. okay. You guys are right, but there's more. So why is this is the nature of God? Okay, it is the nature of God. So we when we participate in his divine nature, we are participating in love. Well why does Saint Paul say that we must be rooted and grounded in love? Is it because um, if we're not really grounded in love, then we don't really have the compassion of God in us to do for each other? Okay, right. So he's the author of love, and he's the source of love. It means like we are not rooted and grounded in God if we don't have love. Okay, yes. I'm going to, it's a leading question. Okay, fair enough. I'm admitting it. It's one of my weaknesses in Bible study. It's a leading question, so right? God, God so loved us that he gave his only son. So is that what you're leading to? No, uh, sort of. Okay. When we are obedient to how he has taught us to live, are we likely to find acceptance or rejection from this world? Say that part again. If we follow his commands and how he taught us to live, are we likely to find acceptance or rejection in this world? Rejection. 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 He actually told us. <laughs> he promised it. Not only, right? He said, if you love me, this world will hate you. Right. Right? But Noah hated me first. Okay? When you are rejected, Sorry, why is rejection so hard? Why is rejection so hard? Because um, it, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah, it hurts you. You, you. No one likes to be rejected. Okay. No one. It, it hurts. I'm going to push a little bit more. Okay. Like, what about it hurts? 
think it's the isolation part because we're, we're a social being. So, so when we're rejected, we're essentially being pushed out of some group and therefore, for lack of a better term, we don't really have a foundation anymore. We don't have that social connection anymore. We are relational beings. And that's no surprise because we're made in God's image and God is three persons and God is relational. Okay. And when we're rejected, I like the words you use, we're isolated. Why does being isolated hurt so much? Lonely. Huh? Lonely. Lonely. Right. And we're created relationally. Right. <laughs> right. It stinks. Mm -hmm. It absolutely stinks. How many times do we want to do something that is probably right? But we pull back because I know if I do it, that there is a risk of rejection. Mm -hmm. And this is the foundation of peer pressure. Yeah. Right? This is what peer pressure is. Mm -hmm. That if you don't do it, then you're not accepted in our group or whatever. Okay. The situation may be, and you'll be isolated, you'll be alone. When we follow him and we become his disciples and we're obedient to his command, what do you say? You're going to be hated. Then why, why would we follow that? Unless we were rooted and grounded in love. Oh, right. Okay. Why, why would we do any of the things he's commanding us? Knowing that we could be hated or we could be rejected, despised, like ridicule. Mm -hmm. if we weren't rooted and grounded in love, right? If we had, you, it's where our sense of value comes from. When we're rooted and grounded in love, we know no matter what the situation is, when I come here to this relationship, it will be unchanging, right? I will never be despised. I will never be rejected by you. I can be rejected from this world. But in order to do that, and be first rooted and grounded in love, I have to know where my true sense of value comes from. When we, we, we rob ourselves of this, when we glean and we try and get false senses of validation from other people, right? Right. right? So, so what does that look like? Like, I use myself as an example. Okay, I play the guitar. If I play the guitar, and like, you know, I do it because I want people to acknowledge it and I want people to enjoy what I do and say, oh, you're so good and all these different things, right? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to like get a, a sense of value through acceptance of others, right? That's a way that I glean or, or, or kind of get false sense of validation of who I am. And it's, I'm going to do that if I'm not rooted and grounded in love, right? If I'm not first established in knowing what is my value and what is St. Paul saying, your value is determined before the creation of the world, right? right? So, Independent of anything that you could have done because we weren't even like figments of his imagination at that time. Or we were, but like, you understand what I'm saying. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just kind of remember um, telling my daughter, it's just like last week, you know, that she was, she she had this idea, she she got this business thing that she's doing with the candle, 
And she was like, well, nobody's going to like it. Or whatever. It's just like, you're constantly, you just got to trust God, keep relationship with the Lord, keep keeping your relationship with him, trusting him, no matter if they don't like it or not, that whatever you do, that he's going to, you're going to set his light so shine in you that men may see your good works and glorify him, which is in heaven, right? Mm -hmm. So I was telling her, like, to, she didn't like the rejection that one lady didn't like one of the candles, but the other lady did. Mm -hmm. So when I think about that, is you, you know, like you were saying, just keep having a relationship right with God. Because I, I know sometimes that when you try to witness to someone, I'm trying to share, you know, God's word with someone. And sometimes they're like, oh, you know, she come and tell me this. And, She's not perfect or something like that, but then you don't get upset with that person because they're not grounded, but you are. So that's what you're saying. Like they keep our relationship right with God because they're going to reject you sometimes. Mm -hmm. And if you know that they're going to reject you, that you don't worry about that, but you know you grounded in the Lord in the way of God. So that relationship is going to keep you from being depressed or down because mm -hmm. someone doesn't agree with you. I Agree, and and what Saint Paul to, to add to your point, what Saint Paul says is that we need to spend so much energy being rooted and grounded in love, right? Because what's his last part? May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ, which which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness of God, right? So much of our spiritual energy. And our spiritual practices is not in the outward motion. It's in establishing the relationship, right? right? And and so all of our spiritual rules that you know when we rule of, of prayer, rule of reading scripture, rule of like coming to church, and all these different practices that we do are all there to help us establish in our hearts what is the length, the width, the depth, and the height of God's love for us to be truly. To truly understand when the Lord says, you are my beloved, what that means, mm -hmm. right? And, and the Lord, when he walked here, this reference came up many times. That is baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, right? It is evidence for us to see that the Lord was grounded in the love that the Father had. Yes. And that set the foundation for him to go and be despised and rejected and abused. Why was he able to do that? Grounded in love. I have now got that um, understanding before. My, just that enlightenment, just to know that, you know, um, be grounded. And you hear it other ways, but you never just hear it that way, the mm -hmm. way you just explained it. And that's, I want to take that for the rest of my life with me because Never heard it that way. I never mm -hmm. saw it that way. It's been in Bible school and Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good. Not too mm -hmm. good. All right. Say that reference again, sorry. One of the proverbs that okay. talking about Satisfied 
The satisfied soul rejects honeycomb yeah. because they're satisfied. Yeah. Like it. All right. Let's move on because I'm trying to. We're going to go for chapter four. We'll see how far we get. All right. So we talk about love. All right. And it's nice to theorize. Right. We love the theory of love. Okay. Talk about it. We can like describe it. But let's be honest. And showing love is totally different than talking about love. Right? Yes. You know, and one of my story story that I read in a book one time where you know a woman came and talked to her pastor and you know she's just like I dreamed to go and be a nun and just work in an orphanage and all these different things and like you know, but as I begin to think about it, I'm like, okay, okay, but the kids are will be crying, and then there's always needs, and there's work to do, and all these different things. And at the end of the story, the pastor, you know, replies and says, the theory of love is very different than the reality of love, right? Yeah, well, the theory of love, right, or the talk of love is very different than the reality, right? right? So one of the greatest tests of love is unity one of the greatest tests of love is unity and so back in february when we did our retreat we covered these verses all right one through six i'll go ahead and read them i therefore the prisoner of the lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you're called with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing with one another in love Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you're called and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you. Right. So just a quick recap, you know, to what we discussed at the, the retreat was that there are three like keys to unity, to really being united with somebody who is different. Is that first one was what remembers from the retreat? I know you're not the retreat, but it's in the it's in the verses, oh, right? Okay, it's in the verses anyway, right? The test of people who are on the retreat. Okay, if you weren't on the retreat, it's in the verses too. Okay, okay, humility, which is where in 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 the version that I read, loneliness. Loneliness, all right. Loneliness is humility, mm -hmm. and that's our you know what we're saying is that's our secret weapon to unity because humility always like challenges us to think of the other higher than ourselves yes right always think of the other higher than ourselves so humility really works towards unity what's the next one gentleness gentleness or meekness same thing okay all right i like meekness because what is meekness actually meekness is calm and quiet yes no. um, but there's more to it meekness is like even, even though, um, yeah, that person did me wrong. <laughs> oh, she, okay. No, no, she's trying, but go ahead. Don't worry. Oh. We're, we're spinning up. Um, is, you know, like, if, even though that person is being mean, she's still going to be kind to of them. Okay. So, again, warmer, I'm going to bring it together. Okay. Meet this is controlled strength. Okay. Right? That strength. when, like, 
yes, we are gentle, even though we have the ability to not be gentle. Right. Right. So in our dealings with one another, like when somebody really steams you and right. like annoys you, right? How you approach them matters. And if you go and you just lay into them, that's not meekness. You right. lost control of yourself. But when you go and you control and harness your energy and talk to them in a gentle way, yes. in a kind way, or in a calm way, while you have all that strength, that's the method in how we need to deal with each other, right? Is through meekness. And then long suffering, right? Is you gotta hang in there long enough. Yes. Nothing good like comes right up. And what makes us like any church family a real family is when we we work through the thick and the thin, right? We see the good and we see the ugly and we figure out how to like navigate it and and you know reconcile our differences and tolerate like these annoying things that you do and you tolerate the annoying things that I do. And we wait long enough, right? We begin to appreciate everybody's gifts and everybody's talents and everybody's you know weaknesses too at the same time. But that requires us to be long suffering. Because the second we're like, oh, this is getting tough. I'm dipping out, right? We never, we really never get to the, the beauty of unity. And we have to work through this because what is what does St. Paul emphasize? Because there's one body, one spirit, just your call and one hope of your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, right? There's only one opportunity. There's one church, right. right? Make it work, guys. Right. Make it work, right? right? What do we see now? Sadly, as, as history has transpired, Thousands of denominations. Yeah. Right? Well, I was I don't like that. Right. I want to believe something different. Right. Right? Or this isn't satisfying to me. It's one church, one body, right? One faith. And if we like really stuck it out, it, it, it should have stayed the way it was. We are where we are. Right? That's a different discussion. But that's what St. Paul was saying. It's like there's one body, one church, one faith, one baptism. Right. We're in it together. Let's yeah. make it work, right? It's so important. It's such a testament of love. All right. Let's read 7 through 16. To each one of us, grace is given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of man and the cunning and craftiness of deceitful plotting. But by speaking in truth and love may grow up in all things in, into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together but by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. All right, thank you. So, St. Paul stresses unity, but what does he not stress? 
and look at 7, where it says, but to each one of us, a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And we jump down to 11. And, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints. He stresses unity, but what does he not stress? He does not stress conformity. Uniform, right? Uniformity. He actually sees diversity, and diversity is essential to unity, because you don't have unity when everything is uniform, right? When everything is like molded into something that is just replicated, it's actually not unity. It's uniformity or, or conformity, however you want to look at it, right? So Paul sees diversity in gifts, diversity in talents. He says that each one of us has to use it for the benefit of all. Because when we benefit or when we use our gifts for the benefit of all, right, what happens collectively? We all grow. Edifying. Grow. Okay, we grow, right? We we are edified, right? We're edified as a body. When we all use our gifts. When we don't use our gifts, we don't grow. Right. right? I don't grow individually because I'm not using my gifts. And we don't grow collectively because I'm not benefiting from your gifts. So everybody has a gift to bring to the table. And we have different roles, right? There's order, there's structure in what happens. But Everybody has a gift and everybody has to bring it to the table, right? Because these gifts are the fruit of God coming down and, and, and bestowing on humanity, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit and, and sorry, like sending down the Holy Spirit to be within us, right? He's giving us a bit of his divinity. And what we want to do is use that for my own benefit and for the benefit of all, right? Because when the diversity of gifts are fashioned together, St. Paul highlights three things that are accomplished. I think it's verse 12, right? It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the building of the body of Christ. So three things, equipping of the saints, right? Do we have the proper tools to do the work? And when, like, I bring my gift, I bring a tool. And maybe my tool is used to equip you for something else, right? So my presence is important for you, right? right? Because collectively, what do we do? The work of the service, right? The good works that we were designed for, the preaching of the gospel, the furthering of the message, all these things, cultivating individual relationships with God. And what this does is it builds the body of Christ. It builds the church family together. When we, when we work together, right? When I see like you're good, I also appreciate you're bad. And I, you know, I look on, on the things that you struggle with, with compassion. And I see like, okay, you bring this gift. And the church family, like God challenges us to see the gift in the other, right? To know, come in our brokenness, but to see that he has bestowed a gift on each other. And for us as a church family to work well, we have to see each other's gifts. Because there's service that we must do. And in the service that we do, what we do is we build the church. Yes. 
So like, so say she's an excellent reader, she speaks really like okay. so, and then maybe he's an excellent speaker. You okay. know what I'm saying? So that's why we need to use our gifts, and then you're an excellent teacher, mm -hmm. right? And so we bring all our gifts together, and then that's how our church becomes stronger. Or the organ, you know, the, the, the church at body yeah. becomes stronger because she still gets to do her great reading, she gets to do this great speaking, and you get to do your great teaching. Yeah. And with that, you know, it just builds us all together and helps everybody to understand. Absolutely. Absolutely. That, um, there, I mean, so, there, there are people who, yeah. I think one of the most like precious gifts for any community is the, like, you know, somebody who has that gift of hospitality. Like yes. brings you in and like yeah. makes you feel like this is home. Yeah. Right. I don't have that at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's not my gift. That's, that's okay. That. Right. I think there's some people yeah. who are just so courageous that they will go and speak to anybody. Yeah. Right. And just know how to just naturally like talk about the gospel. Not my gift. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I do bring other things to the table. It's not that like I'm looking and saying like, not my gift, not my gift, I'm useless. No, I bring something else to the table. But I look and I can admire the gifts that other people have and they complete the church family. Everybody here has a gift that they bring to the church family, right? And when we do it, there is my personal transformation. And there's also like what we accomplish is the communal work. Right? Because when I bring my gifts, is it always like received so well? No. Oh, it comes with a struggle. It comes with like resistance. It comes with like difficulty. Right? But that difficulty pushes me to come back, rely on God, like nourish myself, see things differently, persevere, keep on working. It's my personal transformation when I use my gift. Right? And if I give up on that, like, oh, it's too hard. Oh, I'm always rejected. Oh, we never get angry. Okay? Who loses? The church and you. Yeah. Church and me. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Both. Right? And so much about personal transformation. Isn't it, isn't it important that um, that that's my that's my dream for women? Like, that's the dream God gave me one night, one day. Because women, we, we like, all of us have so many beautiful gifts, right? And so I, I remember going to church and seeing, you know, um, how like, y'all don't, you guys don't get it, but women gets, like, some women get jealous of other women, maybe she talks better, or maybe she's prettier, if she gets it. But my, my dream is that, why are we doing that? Because God created all of us, right? And we all have gifts to bring to to each other, right? To help one another. One could be a nurse, one could be a doctor, one could be a lawyer. Someone could be a janitor. But everybody's gifts, everybody's job is needed. Someone can be a great cook. So you don't have to be jealous of her gift because her gift is her gift that God gave. I can't be jealous of my gift. You don't need to be jealous of my gift because that's a gift God gave. But with all of us using our gifts together, we be a beautiful flower. Mm -hmm. And that's what my prayer always to be, you know, to you know, with women and stuff that I always try to like push our gifts out there. Like, girl, you're a good dancer, you're a good speaker, you're a good reader, you're a good writer, mm -hmm. you're a good this. And I try to push that out because a lot of times we don't see our gifts 
that God yeah. gave us and then we give each other or you give it a person and you don't have to because you got your gift to get out to grow and be a beautiful, strong brother. Yep, I agree. Men deal with it just in a different way. <laughs> okay. But to your point, like, yeah, and this is going to sound funny. One of the most important services in the church is who refills the paper towels. Did, did you, who did refills you? the paper towels? Yeah. Right? Because I'll be honest, I find it's one of the most annoying things that I find when I come and there's no paper towels. Right? It's such an unpleasant experience. Right. That person matters. Yeah. Right? Really does. Absolutely matters. Yeah. So everybody has a bet in, in the church. Really does. Okay. All right. Let's try and knock out a little bit more. All right. I'm going to go ahead and read 17, and we're going to go through 24. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, and the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Right? And so what he's saying is that it's a personal decision to begin to change our habits. Yes, right? That even when we want to change, the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be mighty in this. Right? Because we will need him to give us the power to stay the course, to be resilient when we get knocked down, to, to, to forgive when it's difficult to forgive, right? We can want to change, right? And, and, and that effort and the will to change is important. But it should never overshadow the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Because we look and we're like, oh, I'm working so hard at this. What do we not see in the picture? The work of God. Right? We don't see. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Right? Acknowledge, Acknowledge him, him in all your ways. Right? Because he's he's working in ways that we cannot see. Right? So the personal work is what begins the transformation of the church. Right? The personal work begins the transformation of the church. Yes, the church, like communally, we have to do things the right way. We have to work towards excellence, not perfection, okay? But we have to work towards having good systems, right? Towards like healthy environments and building good culture. But the true transformation comes from the individual work of the person. Because when that work happens, then it becomes contagious, right? It begins to work, right? Last couple of verses and we're going to end here okay 25 through 28 therefore putting away lying let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor 
for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary advocation, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God Christ forgave you. Right. How we conduct our personal lives matters significantly in the overall health of the community. Right, because what, what is St. Paul, like he's giving tangible things that the individuals in the community need to do. What are some tangible things that he puts in these verses that we need to do? Stop stealing. Stop stealing. <laughs> Easy one. <laughs> Stop stealing. What else? Good communication. Okay, communication. Now that corrupt communication comes out your mouth. Okay, careful with how you deal with your anger and your bitterness. What else? Be kind and tenderhearted. Okay, be kind and tenderhearted. What else? People who are in need. Okay, give people who are in need. Okay, careful about evil speaking. Put away from you, you know, all these all, all these bad things, right? These are all the tangible challenges that we face in the community. And not to lie. Right, and not to lie. Right? What is going and to don't go to sleep with anger, right? And don't go to sleep on your anger, right? So how we deal with anger? What is going to play a huge part in my ability to not be angry, to not cheat, if if I struggle with you know, sorry, not cheat, not steal. Okay, if I struggle with stealing, what is going to be a huge part in my ability to stop these behaviors? Prayer. You gotta keep prayer, it prayer. right? Yeah. Which is personal. Right. It's the personal work. Right. I think one of the biggest mistakes in communities is that we tend to think that what I do personally is my business. Right. And it is such a lie. Yeah. Because how we deal with our lives personally affects everybody communally. My decisions don't just hurt me in a vacuum. My decisions hurt everybody in the church family. Yes. So I have to be responsible. Like when I am dedicated to my 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 spiritual rule and my prayer life, my reading of scripture, right? Is it am I doing it for me? Yes. Am I doing it for everybody else at the same time? Yes. Is my focus everybody else? No. My focus is me. And if I do that in order to root and ground myself in the love of God, it's going to help me like I'm here. Right? But it's here. What does ministry do for us? Is that when we you know do ministry, or or another way of saying it is like when we share life together, right? And we share through different services. Mm -hmm. And I realize like, oh, this person's like really edgy. This person always keeps dropping the ball. This person never responds to my email. Okay. What does that do? It tells me something deeper is going on. Something is happening personally. That is affecting 
the communal, the communal relationships. And so the communal activity is there to help us see what is happening personally, right? And I say this time and time again here, is there's the ministry behind the ministry, right? Have I said it? You've heard it, you've heard it, you've heard it. The ministry behind the ministry. Yes, we do services, right? But not to make light of teaching Sunday school. I could teach a a monkey to teach Sunday school, right? Right? I'm just using that for the example. I know we have Sunday school teachers here. I'm not assaulting you, right? Mm -hmm. A monkey can give a sermon, all right? Here we go. (laughs) Monkey can give a sermon, Right. right? But we do these things. Because that when it goes wrong, it gives us an opportunity to see what is happening deeper, right? Yes. And the true ministry is really what's happening deeper. I can uncover what's happening deeper because of what's falling apart superficially. That's the best, right? That's when true transformation happens because we're getting to the heart of the issue. Right? Heart of the issue is not that you don't respond to my emails. The heart of the issue is that you're depressed, mm-hmm. right? And we have to figure out why. Right. Right? So there's the ministry behind the ministry. Right? I um in prayer. Thank you, everybody, for your sharings. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you for this opportunity to work through uh, this epistle. And Lord, help us to see our own relationships with you, um, that we would work on them, that we would aim and, and tirelessly put our effort towards being rooted and grounded in you, because you promised us that we would be rejected, that we would be despised, Lord. But if we are grounded in you, we have what we need in order to stand strong and to continue our obedience to you. Um, and Lord, help us also to use our gifts for the glory of your name, for the, the furthering of the church. Because in that, Lord, what we hope is that each person becomes united with you. And Lord, it's such a, a beautiful mixing of lives that you that, that you have created and bringing us together to be one church um, and one body but help us to take on the challenges and the difficulties of that. And we would, each person here, keep us safe until we join together next week through the intercession of all your saints here. So as we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Please forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is kingdom, power, and glory forevermore. Amen.
Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. We're going to try and knock out the last two. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.